one of the things I hope that you've noticed in the way that we've been sort of worshiping together in recent weeks. It's, a, it's been intentionally communal in nature. Uh, that is, that, that I, I recognize that there can be an oddness at times in churches like ours where there's this call-response sort of thing going on that, that strikes us as a sort of weird practice that religious people do. I know it's not typical to have people do readings or to bear testimonies about what God has done in their lives in church or even to sing familiar hymns like Christmas carols that we've been doing, but these elements, I hope for you, are things that, that enhance your worship. It may be odd to do a call response in this setting, but it's a natural thing that people just do. Like if I said, da-da-da-da-da-da, charge, right? Call response, I do something, you do something, to celebrate and to participate. If I said, join me in the Pledge of Allegiance, I pledge allegiance to the flag, and we do this corporate shared reading together, recitation together to express our loyalty and commitment to a thing. And that's what we're doing here as we worship. Rather be in a dark room, that you can't really see the faces and the smiles and the, the people who are sitting in the sanctuary together with music so loud that you can't hear their voices singing off key. Oh, you know, watching a charismatic preacher offer these sort of clever, sort of fortune cookie kinds of spiritual lessons or sayings. Our hope is that in our church, this is a communal activity where we get to share and know about one another's lives that we actually come not for a personal experience necessarily, but to share and worship together where we can see each other and hear one another's voices, where our kids can have their imaginations of community and togetherness shaped by the Christian faith. This is what it means for our church to worship, and I hope that the stories in particular that Patty and Don and Andy have shared have been a blessing for you. They are living witnesses of the good news of Jesus Christ. And this morning as we turn to God's word, uh, we're gonna be in Luke chapter one. We're gonna be thinking about this idea of redemption that comes to us in the Advent and Christmas season. I titled my sermon this morning, The Great Reversal, as we jump into this. But I invite you to hear these familiar words perhaps in a fresh and a new way in Luke chapter one, verses 39 through 56. Hear the word of the Lord. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean hill town in the hill country, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. And holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud of the thoughts 
in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and then returned to her home. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Father, we have come to worship, to bear witness to your goodness, to hear again the story, to be reminded of the story that we're caught up in, that you are a God who saves, that redeems in unexpected ways, in beautiful ways, in life-changing ways. And so we ask as we come to hear a word from you, would you give us a word of hope? Would you give us a word of mission? what it is that we are to be and do in the world. And somehow, in our church, would you find glory. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Well, Christmas is a sweet time of togetherness for many people. I know the holidays aren't always the happiest moments for some families. There are complicated family dynamics and relationships that we sometimes experience in the midst of this stretch of the calendar year. But as a general rule, I think many of us, myself included, enjoy the intentional gathering that many of us do in this season. Things like our Christmas festival this past Friday, it was awesome. And if you weren't there, I'm sorry you weren't there because you missed out on a fantastic time. All of our kids are sick now because of the Christmas festival. Running around in the cold without shoes on, eating sugar, and not going to bed on time apparently is not good for runny noses, but it was a wonderful time. And I heard uh, of a couple in our church, actually, in our, our group, who one of their, their, their traditions of togetherness is that they go and they, they find a, a tree in the tree lots together every single year, and they, they spend some moments over dinner celebrating just being together at this time of the year. I love all of these traditions with friends and family during the Advent and Christmas season. And in our text this morning, we have perhaps the first Advent gathering. Some have even said that this is the first gathering of the church. This is the first gathering around the person of Jesus Christ. You see, just before our text this morning, the angel Gabriel, who last week visited Zechariah as he went about his priestly duties in the temple, uh, he had announced to Mary, that she would bear a son, that she would bear the son of God who was to be named Jesus, and she believed him. And she then, in, in haste, according to our text, is off to go visit Elizabeth, who was pregnant with John the Baptist, and to, to share her joy, the forerunner of the Messiah. Now why, why does Mary go so quickly and so immediately to see Elizabeth? Did she need confirmation of what she just experienced like, did that really just happen? Was there an angel that sort of made themselves known to me and, and revealed to me that I was to be the, the mother of God? Was Gabriel's word not enough for her? Was she having doubts of what she had just committed herself to? Did she need encouragement as she was about to step into an unexpected future? My guess is that Mary did not go to receive confirmation or encouragement from Elizabeth, but rather to offer confirmation and encouragement to her 
Mary goes in haste with good news, with great news. Surely Elizabeth ought to know what God is doing. And the connection of these two women cannot be any more surprising and strange in our text this morning. Two unlikely pregnant women, one too young and one too old. One was a soon-to-be wife and one was just a preacher's wife. The two of them gather out in a Judean town out in the hill country. It's a place so nondescript that Luke doesn't even tell us it has a name. It's just somewhere over there, somewhere. And it's there in some unremarkable place in the Middle East that the preacher's wife becomes a de facto prophet filled with the Holy Spirit and articulates the special role that this young Mary will play in human history, in God's salvation history. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And Mary, recognizing her own vocation in Elizabeth's words, is empowered to share these bold and beautiful words that we know as the Magnificent, sometimes referred to as Mary's song. What began as a simple visit to the home of a sidelined priest in the hill country of Judea calls into the world this dramatic reimagination of how the world ought to be. And it's quite striking how connection to each other is central to each of these women recognizing that their lives are caught up into a story that's so much bigger than the one that they thought they were a part of. Their connection to one another to jump on Scott's sermonette this morning reshapes their vocations within the world that God was bringing forth. Elizabeth was to be more than an old barren pastor's wife who played the piano on Sunday mornings. In connection and in community, she becomes the mouthpiece of God, calling forth from Mary the work of mothering the Son of God. Mary wasn't some anonymous fiance from a backwater town in Galilee. She, in her connection with Elizabeth, takes on the work of raising the Christ child, Jesus, the savior of the world. We need connection in community, the connection cultivated by commitments in a congregation to have called out of us what God wants to do in our lives. We never fully find ourselves merely sort of looking inward to find ourselves, we find ourselves through our connections in community. But what each of these women find themselves caught up in, that's so much larger than their own lives, is the redemptive work that God has for the world. And it's Mary's song that lays forth the vision of that work in the world. She sings, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. God has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. Lowly things brought high and powerful things brought low. Hungry people filled and rich people empty. It is a great reversal of all things. And that is what we bore witness to in Andy's testimony this morning, the redeeming work of God. It's the lifting up of that which felt low. It's the putting together and making whole that which felt broken and shattered. 
It was a renewal of heart and soul. This is what we call salvation in the church. And I love the way that he said it only takes a split second to the openness of God's love and redemptive work in your life that God needs to break in and burst and change everything for you. But did you know that God still does this kind of work? Lifting up that which feels burdened. There's no life that has run such a muck, no mistake that has been so great, no habit that has lasted for so long that God's love cannot transform you into the person that you were meant to be. For some of us, though, the redemptive work of God isn't a lifting up, but a bringing low. I've often heard testimonies like the one that we heard this morning and thought to myself, well, I never found myself in that situation, so what kind of testimony do I have to tell and bear witness to in the world? How has God changed and transformed my life? See, for some of us, we stand in places of wealth and affluence, of privilege, and the call has always been for those people and will continue to be a downward mobility towards the cross, a call to become servants and slaves, even of your enemies. This is the redemptive work of God in our lives. It seems more socially acceptable, right? To be like 15 years, like materialistic, right? 15 years that I've spent in sort of just pursuing my own interests and greed and sort of consuming, consuming, consuming. These types of things are socially acceptable and so they don't seem like that big of a deal, but the redemptive work of God for many of us is a path downward towards the cross. And we experience this transformation where we recognize that our lives are not about ourselves. This was the path that was uh, of the well-known saint, Francis of Assisi. Francis was born into an affluent, wealthy family. In fact, I, I read one book that said he was a playboy of sorts, just kind of had everything for him. And, and he lived a lavish life. And over time, he ends up making this commitment and a vow to a life of poverty. This is the redemptive path downward that Jesus wants to do in some of our lives. But what I find so striking, both in our text this morning and in Andy's testimony, is the means by which people come upon the redemptive possibilities that are at hand. And he said it best. He said, God's grace, it had to be pointed out to me that it was there to grab. This is the vocation of the church, to point out to a world that is in desperate need of redemption, to a world and to people who are in desperate need of God's grace, in desperate need of saving, that there is a God, that there is a God who redeems, there is a God who saves, there is a God who loves, there is a God who is full of grace, and yes, that God loves people even like you. In fact, you're exactly the kinds of people that God's greatness is best demonstrated in. See, God didn't just do his work out in some nondescript Judean town in the hill country in the Middle East. He even does that kind of work in run-of-the-mill churches in the coastal town just south of Santa Barbara. <laughs> That's us, by the way. We're totally nondescript. <laughs> like, people know L.A. and Santa Barbara, and like, what's in between? I don't know. It's that place over there. But fortunately for us, God does work in places like this. That kind of work is often happening in connection in communities. The kinds of communities where we can be known and know each other. 
where a seed of faith miraculously takes root in us, bringing the life of Christ within our lives in unanticipated ways, like Mary and Elizabeth this morning. Are you in need of a word of hope this morning? Do you know someone who is? Perhaps God's word to you or the word that you ought to bring to somebody this day is that redemption isn't, is possible, that it's there for the taking if you would just grab a hold of God's grace. Perhaps for some of us, we're reminded this morning that God's redemptive work, God's saving work in our lives isn't just a lifting up of ourselves, but it's gonna be a bringing down. And that's really hard. That's life transformation too. How might God be redeeming you in that great reversal this morning, a lifting high or a bringing low? How might you in in this church be so connected in community so as to discover the kinds of redemptive activity in your life, but also to be the instrument through which his redemptive work is brought forth in another? This is the vocation of the church, to call out of a world, hey, you're too high, you gotta come down. Or hey, you're so low. Let me lift you up. This is what we are to do in the church. This is what we wait and anticipate during Advent. May it be so in our church. Amen.